You're in Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to look tonight at this idea of running a race. And in the book of Hebrews, there's a a real emphasis on being steadfast, uh, not being moved. And if you've been saved any length of time, and if you lived any length of years, you feel the pressure to move, don't you? Temptation, um, just stopping, just, just wanting a break, just coveting, desiring something different. And that happens. Um, and in the book of Hebrews, there's this emphasis on being steadfast in the faith. And he, and he actually warns us uh, against developing or giving in to unbelief. And we're exhorted to have faith that endures, enduring faith. And that's why many of you, uh, especially those of you who are older in your life, and now even I'm at the point where I can look back and see some of you who are younger than me, and you've endured, and you're an encouragement to me because, in a sense, I'm surrounded by people who are not giving in to the sin of unbelief, who are continuing to take God at His Word, what He says, and and you're continuing to order your lives, your lives according to the Word of God. And you're a real encouragement to me. And there are, there are many of you who are older than me here tonight. And I've been able to watch you consistently follow Christ and live according to the Word of God. And then there are some here tonight, and you're younger than me. And I can still say for 20 years or more, I've watched you follow the Lord. And you know what? We even have some children here tonight, and I get to watch you... And I observe how you honor your parents and how you obey your parents and honor authority. And you know what? When I see young people do that, children do that, you know that it encourages me. Uh, and I think, wow, look at how they honor their parents. Or look at how they're kind to others. They're following the Word of God. And, it, and we can be an encouragement to one another even in something like that. I, I want you to look here at Hebrews chapter 12 because not only are we encompassed by a group of witnesses of people who have lived by faith or are living by faith today, but he talks to us about others in the Bible. Look at verse number 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. I'll just read four verses tonight. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, witnesses, people who have witnessed Christ delivering them, empowering them, strengthening them to live godly lives in this world. He says, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let's pray, and we'll look at at least three of these verses tonight. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, in the next 30 minutes or so to help us to be encouraged. Help us to be strengthened. Give us some guidance and direction of what it's going to take for us to run a race to live a lives that are pleasing to you. I pray these things in the Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, we're in Hebrews chapter 12. I've never before been asked, was that a prayer to the Lord, or was that to me, or... (laughs) Did you hear that in the back? A phone went off, and it said, how can I help? That wasn't the voice of God I've imagined throughout my life, as I've imagined it. Seemed a little weak to me, so turn, turn it up next time. All right. Um, <laughs> we can be encouraged, okay? That's what my notes say. I'll figure it out here as we go along. Look at verse number one, the beginning part again. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, we're, we're surrounded, and I, and I think it's important for us to remember this, that in times of discouragement, in times of uh, doubt, um, in times when we feel like we're all alone, like nobody else is having to go through, maybe what we think we're having to go through, it's important to remember that we're not alone. And in fact, we're actually encompassed or we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, the cloud of witnesses that are spoken about here in the, in the passage in chapter, in chapter 12 and verse 1 are the Old Testament saints like Abraham, like Moses. And in what they are, in what way, I would ask, are they a witness what, what is it that they have witnessed it, or what, what witnessed, or what are they witnessing, or what have they witnessed in the past? Well, the word witness can mean a spectator, but that would suggest that they're all looking down. And I remember a song that talks about from the grandstands in the sky. Okay? That would suggest that all the people who have gone on before us are looking down from heaven, watching everything we do, cheering us on. Now, let me ask you a question before we go on. Uh, Before I ask that question, I should say that from the Word of God, there is no indication that those who have passed on, those who are born again, who have passed on, who are in heaven today, have any idea of what's going on on the earth today. Did you say that would be terrible? Yes. We're getting ahead of things here. Now, from the Word of God, those who have gone on before us may have a memory of their lives, okay, of what happened on the earth. You remember the rich man and Lazarus? And the rich man, uh, you remember he had, a, he, had a, he had a memory, and he could remember his life, and he could remember his how many brethren? His, how many? Five brothers. So... In hell, he lift up his eyes being in torment, and he had a memory. He could remember his brothers. And he was actually concerned for them, do you remember? And he cries out, send Lazarus back. And he made, you know. So, um, so I think there's a memory, at least for those who are in hell. But in heaven, those who are there, their attention is focused upon their present condition, condition work, uh, worshiping the Lord and being in His presence. And so, to your point, Mrs. Haskins, do you really think if, if the people in heaven could witness everything that we were doing in our lives today or everything that was going on in the world today, do you really think that would be heaven? they could see and know all that was going on. No thanks. 
Wouldn't that be terrible? That would be terrible. Who wants to know all of that? I'm glad I don't. I live on earth, and I don't want to know all of that. So I don't think that's the idea of witnesses here in this passage. The word witness can also refer to those who bear witness by their lives. They've borne witness to the value of faith. And that's what the context is in Hebrews chapter 12. Because before chapter 12 comes chapter 11. And what do we have in chapter 11? We have 40 verses of God's uh, record put together by God, naming people, identifying people who lived their lives by faith while they were on earth. And all of these people in chapter 11 all had perfect lives, right? And uh, they never made any mistakes. And uh, they all had great retirement plans and retired to beautiful places in the U.S. No, not at all. They lived, sometimes some of them lived very, very difficult lives. Some of them were murdered. Many of them were killed. Look back to chapter 11 for just a moment, because this is important, and I'm not going to preach through it, but I want, let's, let's look at it for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed, put together, built by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying in his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. How did Abel die? Could somebody tell me? Cain, his brother, killed him. But he lived by faith. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. He was a man of faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, he'd never seen the earth flooded, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should uh, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out knowing, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged, uh, she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, and might have had opportunity, have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. You and I desire that. Robert Jennings is there right now. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. 
whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days, By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. We talked about that this morning. Waxed valiant in fight. Turned to flight the, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And it's in that context that then he says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There were many things, and that's the 40 verses I just read. But many of you who know the Word of God, you've, you've read and studied some of those Old Testament Bible stories and narratives. Remember Sarah conceiving a miracle of that. You remember these things. You remember Noah. You've heard about Noah and you've read and studied about Noah and him building an ark and Abel offering a right sacrifice. And all the, I'm not going to go back through them, but these people in times of difficulty going against what they would have felt like doing, sometimes going against the culture they were living in, they pleased God because they took God at his word. They didn't do what they felt like. They didn't do necessarily what the culture was telling them to do. To the best of their ability, and some of of them in that list, like Samson, like how did he get in the list? 
Yet Samson, even Samson, was a man who took God at his word, at least at some times in his life. I was talking to a, a gentleman this evening before the evening service, and we were talking about Samson a little bit. We've been studying him on Wednesday nights for the past two Wednesday nights. Samson. He judged Israel for 20 years, and really only about two years of his life are recorded for us in the Bible. I don't know what happened the other 18 years that he judged Israel over Israel. But what we do know about Samson is pretty negative, don't, isn't it? Pretty negative. He made some terrible mistakes. We see very little faith in Samson's life. But I, asked the, I, I mentioned this to the gentleman I was talking to. How many of us, as believers, would like every thought everything that we have ever done in our lives to be recorded or to be known. And so with, even within this room, there are many people who are or have walked by faith. In other words, you've made decisions, I've made decisions based upon the Word of God, looking to God for guidance, and made good choices. But yet even those of us who have made those kinds of choices in our lives also can remember times and moments in our lives, every one of us have these, where we were not operating by faith. So how is it that we can run this race that God has set before us? Well, there are a few things that are necessary, and I see them in these three verses. Number one, we need to lay some things aside. If you and I are going to run the race that God has set before us, And that race is going to have all kinds of obstacles. The race that God has set before you and for me isn't just going to be an oval, you know, with a nice padded track and everything's perfectly set up and perfect uh, temperature for running. You know, run two laps, you're done, move on, go to heaven. It's not going to be that way. It's going to be, it's kind of an all-terrain type of run through snow and ice and sleet and then sweltering heat and then there's going to be some thunderstorms and there's going to be some uh, hurricanes along the way and probably some tornadoes. Um, Did I miss anything that's terrible? Mud, slippery. Okay, you get the idea. It's life is challenging. And part of the challenges of life are not only the challenges from without, but they are challenges from within. Our, our own flesh opposes us. And so, as some think the Apostle Paul, we don't know who the penman of Hebrews is, as he's writing down these words, as the Spirit of God is giving him words to write, he tells us, if you're going to run the, the, the race that is pleasing to God, if you're going to live a life that's pleasing to God, there's some things, first of all, you need to, you need to lay aside. I would say it another way, there's some things you're going to have to say no to. You're going, if you're going to run a race that's pleasing to God, you're going to have to say no to some things. You can't say yes to everything. Look at verse number, verse number one. Look at the middle part. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. You're going to have to lay some things aside. I can't please God and do everything my flesh wants me to do can't do what my flesh wants me to do, what it feels like. Everybody in this room, every one of us, our flesh is inclined to something. 
sinful. And if you're going to run a race that's pleasing to God, you're going to have to say no to it. Neil Bascom wrote a book called The Perfect Mile. And he wrote this, and he had studied three particular runners. I don't remember all their names. One of them was an Aust- The winner of the race was uh, Roger Bannister. I think he was an Australian runner uh, back in the 1900s, 1954. And Bascom writes this. He wrote, quote, All three runners endured thousands of hours of training to shape their bodies and minds. That sounds miserable right there. He writes, They ran more miles in a year than many of us walk in a lifetime. They spent a large part of their youth struggling for breath. They trained week after week to the point of collapse, all to shave off a second, maybe two, during a one-mile race. Time it takes to snap one's fingers and register the sound. There were sleepless nights and training sessions in rain and sleet and snow and scorching heat. And there were times when they wanted, when, when they wanted to go out, yet they knew they couldn't. They understood life was somehow different for them. The idle happiness, just getting up and doing whatever, eluded them, is what he writes. And Bascom was saying that these particular men had to say a lot of no's in order to reach one huge yes, and that was a perfect mile, which in those days was a four-minute mile. And uh, it was Roger Bannister who ran that. He was the first one to to run under four minutes. He ran three minutes, 59.4 seconds. What an accomplishment. But they had to train all year. They couldn't eat certain things. They couldn't sleep in. They couldn't rest. They had to go out. They had to train their bodies. There were many things that those three runners had to say no to if they were going to run the perfect mile. Now, I'm not exhorting anybody in this room to go run a perfect mile. I don't want to race Pastor Burden, and he doesn't want to race me, right? Okay, so we're in agreement on that. But you know what? I'm not after a perfect mile for you. But my desire for each one of you as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is that you would run a race, your race, the race of life, in such a way that when you stand before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he would be able to look at you and me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm not talking about a perfect life. Perfection is not my goal for you. I know that option is already passed. Right? My goal for you is, even when you fall, that you get back up by faith, and you keep running the race by faith. But if you're going to do that, you're going to have to say no to some things. We live in a generation and a time, and this is not new. This has happened many times around the world in many different societies, different points in history, We live in a time where it's not popular to say no to much of anything. But I'm telling you, based upon the word of God, you and I cannot run the race of faith without saying no to some things. You're going to have to say no. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is, I'm not talking about saying no to the things you already don't like. I'm saying there are going to be some things that you want to do really bad that you're going to have to say no to if you're going to run the race of faith.
He says every weight in our passage. In our passage. So every weight, the things that slow us down, our spiritual growth, the things that hold us back. Uh, in Luke chapter 21, he talks about carousing and drunkenness, cares of this life. In Colossians chapter 3, he says this, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter wrote this, he said, laying aside all malice and guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. In James chapter 1 and verse 21, he says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You see, he says lay apart. You're going to have to say, some, you're going to have to say no to some things that your flesh, that actually is who you are, is who your flesh is. Who you, is who, uh, it is who you used to be. You're going to have to say no to that. And immediately you're going to find that you don't have it enough in the tank to say no to it. And you're going to have to look to the Lord and say, God, would you please help me? You're going to find yourself looking to the, God's word and, and a bit helplessly, you're going to be finding yourself looking to the word of God, frustrated with yourself and your inability to change who you are and, and overcome our wicked flesh. We're going to find ourselves looking to the word of God and coming to hear it taught and preached to us and pleading and seeking God's help in our lives. By the way, that's a wonderful place to be. And that's why those people find their names in Hebrews chapter 11. Not because they were perfect people, but because there were times in their lives, despite their failures, that they found themselves looking to God and saying yes to what he wanted for them. Notice again, verse number number one, he goes on, we're to lay aside... Uh, every weight and the things which so easily beset us. And the word beset means to ensnare. Now, all sins should be laid aside, right? But from the context, I understand the sin, the sin, it's singular, to be the sin of unbelief. Which is the root, by the way, of all sin. Pride would also be involved in that scenario. The epistle to the Hebrews was written to encourage faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to his covenant, that new covenant. Hebrews chapter 3 warns of unbelief, the sin of unbelief, a a sin, a singular sin is what we find in verse number 1. And what is the one sin that has the greatest effect on faith? And it starts with the letter D, doubt, unbelief. Doubt, the sin that messes up the life of faith is doubt. The sin that causes us to give in to other sins is when we stop believing what God has revealed to us in his word. Faith takes God at what he says. He takes God's word at at, at face value. God says it, it's true. No matter what culture, no matter where I'm at in my life, it's true. That's faith. I'm going to take God at his word. Have you ever, have you ever known somebody whose word you couldn't, you couldn't take them at their word because they weren't known for telling the truth? 
you couldn't take them at their word. They could, you, you, heard what, you heard the words that were coming out of their mouth, but you couldn't believe them. Well, do you believe what God says is true? Do you believe that you can take God at his word? Yeah. But yet there are times in our lives where we don't feel like we can. But whether we feel like we can or not, faith takes God at his word. So he's talking specifically here about unbelief or doubt. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, Take the shield of faith with, with which ye shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. By the way, those Roman shields were four and a half feet tall and two and a half feet wide. They were big shields and they were covered in thick leather uh, leather that had been soaked in oil and the flaming arrows of the enemy would come and they would sink into that leather and they'd be extinguished. And the, the shield of the Christian is faith. I talked Wednesday to the congregation that gathered on Wednesday about having some guardrails in our lives. So when we are not operating by faith, it keeps us, it keeps us on the road. It keeps us from going over the edge and causing major, major destruction and disaster in our lives. Well, faith is kind of like that as well. Those moments when we're all alone and nobody else is there to see. And temptation presents itself. And you can do it and get away with it. Your flesh says. And then you're reminded of a verse like the verse in Psalms. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside, it shall not cleave to me. Or maybe another psalm, whither shall I go from thy presence? A man can go to hell and not escape the presence of God. A man can go to heaven and not escape the presence of God. A man can go anywhere, a young person can go anywhere on earth And their mom and dad may not see, and their teachers may not see, but God sees. And there is nowhere to go to escape the eyes of God. You see, it's in times like that that that, that faith, taking God at his word, actually acts as a protection for us. And I'll say this and move on. We'll always be victorious over sin if we believe what God says. The times we fall are when, for a moment, our faith wavers and we believe the lie of the flesh over the truth of the Word of God. And we sin. And not just once going into that particular sin, but twice because it's the sin of unbelief. So we need to lay some things aside. And you know your hearts. Is there anything in your life God is presenting to your mind by his spirit that you need to set aside? Some things in your life you need to say no to. We're not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to allow myself to think that way anymore. God, guard my thoughts. I'm not going to think that way anymore. All right, number two, we need to have endurance. He goes on in verse number one. He says this, run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, he's writing to believers, and obviously some of them must have been struggling with this idea of endurance. Some of them, I think, were struggling with this need to lay things aside. Some were saying, you know what, I'm not willing to say no to that. I'm just not willing. Maybe they said, I don't think I have to. I think I can still serve God and not lay it aside. Or 
I shouldn't have to, or I'm not going to. So some, I think, were struggling with that. Others, I think, were struggling with this idea of endurance. Some, I think, were willing to lay things aside and say no to certain things. But you know what? They were getting tired. You ever get tired? And it's good to have a break, and we all ought to have breaks at times in our lives. Do you ever get tired? You know, you, you can't really take a break in life. Do you, you realize that? And when we get days off from the workplace, but you don't ever get a day off from spiritual warfare. You can't ever just sit down and let your mind go and just do whatever comes into your mind. You can't do that. You don't ever get a day off from the spiritual battle, the flesh that lives within us. There's a battle taking place, so we need to have endurance. So he says, run, the ra- run with patience, with endurance, the race that is set before us. The New England preacher Phillips Brooks was noted for his poise and his quiet manner. At times, though, he suffered moments of frustration and irritability. I wonder if, Miss Baker, I wonder if you'll say that to me someday. He suffered from moments of frustration and irritability. One day, a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor like a caged lion, and they asked Pastor Brooks, What's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? And the trouble is, he said, that I'm in a hurry and God isn't. He was frustrated. You ever been in a hurry and God wasn't in a hurry? Like you wanted to do the right thing, but God wasn't... I can't say he wasn't doing the right thing because he always does the right thing. But you know the feeling. It didn't feel like he was doing the right thing. You knew, what he, you knew what God needed to do, and he hadn't come to the same conclusion yet, at least on your time. You see how that sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? All right. The race of faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. The race of faith is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Marathons. Long-distance running sounds miserable to me. Sounds terrible. Why would anyone want to do that to their body? And then those who run those races look at the rest of us and say, why are you willing to do that to your body? Eat that, not do something. I mean, get out and run. You know, they might say the same thing about us. But the life of faith, the Christian life, is a, is a race of endurance. It's a long-distance run. It's not a sprint. I like those things that, you know, we can just do it, and it doesn't take much work. Or, and it, 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 wow, what transformation. Wow, look at that. Big change, not much effort. We all like things like that, but that's not what the Christian life is all about. In fact, the Christian life isn't like that at all. You're going to have to have, if you're going to please God and run the race of faith, you're going to have to put some endurance to it, which requires some discipline. I like to ride my bike from time to time. And there's, uh, I forget what it says, the, the biggest hill I climb is like 42 feet here in Genesee County. I haven't gone anywhere to really tackle any hills. But there are moments, that, that's kind of a funny thing because it's so flat here. But there are times where I just want to kind of sit back and just kind of rest. And there are other times where I push myself. I have a little app for my phone, and this British woman rides with me. She's on the app. She's not with me on the bike. She's on the app. And I'm riding along, and all of a sudden she chimed in. And I had it turned up. I didn't know she existed. And all of a sudden this British woman spoke into my ear, and she said something about one mile And then she told me my time for one mile, which I'm not going to tell you. 
and I think people run faster than that now. <laughs> um, it was not the perfect mile on a bike, I can tell you that. And, and then I realized someone's keeping track, even if, if it's a British woman on an app, someone's keeping track of my pace. They're keeping track of how I'm pedaling. She's measuring calories somehow, you know. And you know what it did? It caused me to start pushing myself at a different pace because I wanted to show the British woman that I could ride faster than that. Okay. Now, it's not British women that we're out to impress. But I want you to know the Lord is keeping track of how we run the race, you see. Now, you're laughing, but I just delivered a truth while you laugh. He's keeping track of how we run the race. And the race that we're running is the race of faith. And faith is taking God at his word. How I interact with my wife ought to be determined by God's word. Am I running that race right, correctly, in a way that God will be pleased? How I train up my children is, in a sense, in a very real sense, a race of faith. It's not so that others can look and say, wow, the Ferguson children, they're so well-behaved. Or they're not. No. It's what God knows to be true about how I interact with my children. The example I'm setting before them. And the only way that's going to be a right example, and the only way I'm going to interact with them the proper way is if I'm willing, as a father, to take God at his word. You see, it's the race of faith. Pastoring. The measure of a pastor is not the size of the congregation or the length of messages that he preaches. Though maybe I would come out on top if that were the case. That's not the measure of a good pastor or not. It is, did Pastor Ferguson pastor taking God at his word by faith? You see, this is every area of my life. And, that's, and, and by the way, it's interesting to me, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 here, you go down through this list, we go all the way back to the beginning of time almost. We got Abel here, right? And we work our way back through, and all of a sudden we're in the New Testament, and, and some have given their lives, and they've died, they've been sawn asunder. And by the way, people did that, that was done to believers after the book of Hebrews was written. People have suffered and given their lives, they took God at his word, and we're encompassed, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Witnesses of what? Witnesses, people who witnessed that Christ was sufficient, that God was sufficient for their every need, that he could be trusted in an ever-changing world, in societies all around the world, young and old. They witnessed something, and what they witnessed was God is who he says he is, and God can be trusted and I can live a life that's fulfilling and pleasing to God when I take him at his word. And it's a life worth living in an ever-changing world. This is the way to live life. But you're going to have to say no to some things. And you're going to have to run with endurance. I'm just going to read the last couple of verses and we'll close. Because there's a third truth here and it's a big one and I'm not going to have time for it now. But if you're going to run the race of faith, 
in a way that pleases God, you're going to have to focus on the person of the Bible. And I've said that several times now. The person of the Bible, from cover to cover, is Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Is he the love of your life? Do you trust him? Do you talk to him? Do you rely upon him? We all know the truth. He lives within us by his spirit. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We know those truths, and yet I think to some degree they're a little bit plastic to us. And we find ourselves without. We, we find ourselves thinking we're without, we're lacking something. We don't have what we need. We, we do. We have him. Look at verse number two. He says, looking unto Jesus. This is the how Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, it was his idea to save us, and he's the one who did it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured. It, meant, it means to persevere, to suffer, and he did. He endured what? The cross. Despising the shame. The rejection that he suffered, and we won't take time to go back, but all through the New Testament we read about times where Jesus was rejected and ridiculed and mocked and scorned and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at verse 3. For consider him. Consider means to think, to ponder, to think about him, which is one thing we do when we gather around the word of God and it's preached and taught to us. We ought to be considering Christ who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Do you see, you see the point of the penman of Hebrews? Do you see what the Holy Spirit of God is doing? He's talking to a group of people who are being tempted to grow weary in their thoughts and faint. A man who's fainted doesn't resist much. You could probably do anything you want to him. He's not going to respond much. Tori used to cry. Can I tell the story? All right, yes. All right, she gave me the shoulder shrug, which means I trust you, Daddy. When Tori was little, she used to cry to such a degree that she would begin to hyperventilate, and her eyes would kind of roll back in her head, and she would go right down. Boom. And I would grab her, and I'd pick her up, and immediately... Because God made our bodies that way. When she couldn't take any more of life, she would faint. And then I would hold her, and her breathing would come back around, and her little eyes would open up. And now at that point, Cindy and I wanted to faint. You know, you know what's happening? But when someone's fainted, it was, she was just there. She, was, she wasn't resisting anything. She... Her body just kind of succumbed to that. And sometimes believers, we're that way too. We grow weary in our minds and we, we're about to faint. And the penman of Hebrews says you need to look to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and you need to consider him who endured contradiction of sinners. People hated him, opposed him, rejected him. Life is not simple. It's not easy. But the way to run the life, the, run, the way the, to run the, li- the race of life is by faith. I'm going to take God at his word.
I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him when I don't know what tomorrow brings. I'm going to trust him even though I know the past and my own failures. I'm going to trust him with today when it seems like there's too much stuff to handle. I'm going to trust him. And I know that I'm not the first one to ever be in this situation because I am surrounded by so great a cloud of people who have witnessed that God is sufficient.